arriba es una luz Algún tiempo me dejó inmóvil, solo me quedó el zumbido de la luz Escuchaba en mi cabeza, en lengua extraña me hablaba, pero entendí Solo estaba encandilado, la hora perdí. I didn't get the pre-show banter on my stupid recorder. That's okay. No more banter. Intro. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. Yeah, how long should I let that go? Wait, let me turn up the bass there a little bit. There, now I sound uh, a lot more macho. Uh, it's Radio Mysterioso here for the fourth. I think it's the fourth. Is it the fourth? Fifth. Fifth of January, 2014. First show of the year. Here, let me fade that so we can... Um, Plug in for our guest. Stop that. Wow, it's still playing. On the phone. <laughs> Make sure you can still hear me. Can you hear me there? Yep. Oh, wow, that's coming through great. I am not to use your real name. Is that is that the uh, agreement here? <laughs> well, if you use it, I may have to kill you. Okay, well, then I no, won't. No, no. It's all right, man. Everybody, if they really want to know, they can. it's easy, very easy to find out. Okay. Uh, but otherwise known as, and I put down on the uh, the show site on um, and on Facebook, international man of mystery known as Red Pill Junkie. Uh, <laughs> and uh, somebody said, who's that? And I said, I really don't know how to describe him, except for he's kind of like a... Uh, fan of all these sites that kind of you kind of jumped that you jumped the gap and now you're actually writing and have been for a lot of blogs and i guess you're heavily involved with the or at least somewhat involved with micah hanks am i is that wrong yeah i guess uh micah hanks sometimes likes to refer to me as uh, like the fifth grillian <laughs> something oh. like that <laughs> cool 
But, yeah, uh, but so uh, I guess you're right. You know, I, I started um, some years ago being a mere, a mere commentator of content. You know, going to sites. You know, writing writing comments on things and all that. You know, following following the vlogs, following the podcast, and gradually now I see myself being uh, on the other side of the street you know now i'm i guess i am a creator of content in, in a way yeah that's a that's a better way to put it instead of just kind of being a a uh, consumer of all this stuff you've kind of jumped to being like you said a content creator um uh i remember on um the um what was the name of my site i did uh, uh ufo mystic ufo mystic yeah. with, with nick uh, at least nick at first uh, i remember you started commenting there and that's where i, I first noticed and and contacted and, and had some con- you know online conversations with you and since then i mean i don't know what you did before then but it's grown and grown and uh well, people were asking why i didn't have you on the show and it was just like albert rosales it's like why don't you have him on the show oh yeah you're right why don't i have him on the show and i had asked you before but you said that uh you weren't ready yet but now you are so it's great yeah, I think I I suppose things have changed a little since last time uh, last time you asked me. Uh, I've been to the Paradigm Symposium twice. Yeah. Uh, now I'm also thanks to my friends in Canada, uh, Darren and Graham. I'm being involved in their little podcast, the Grimerica Show, which has been our uh, our great experience. You know, to try to loosen up, practice. You know the the. the Speaking English instead of just I don't know writing it. Your written English is better than most people I know, though, <laughs> who are native speakers and writers supposedly. Yeah, I guess. Well, it it didn't start that way. Let me tell you. No, I, I received at first some criticism, but instead of you know being angry or depressed by it, and I welcomed it because it it uh, encouraged me to 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 get better. And now, uh, I think one of the best compliments I ever received back in the Paradigm Symposium was that some people say, man, I really thought that you were actually an American. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I didn't know that. I don't know when I found out. You you live, um, I guess, somewhere near Mexico City, right? I guess you could say I live in Mexico City or or the suburbs. Suburbs, yeah. Yeah, although, you know, by now... Mexico City has become something of a megalopolis extending uh, between two uh, uh, federal like states, you know, like the, the, the federal district yeah. which will be like in Washington, the Columbia yeah. District. Yeah, Distrito Federal. Exactamente. And the state of Mexico, which is uh, where I live. Oh, Okay. I went to, I've been to Mexico City once in my life. I was, I think I was 12 or 13 years old. Or no, 13 or 14. We went there with a Spanish class. (laughs) (laughs) And this was, you know, so this was like in the mid-70s, mid to late 70s. Yeah. And so it was a little different then. And I think it was probably, it's, it's, I'm sure it's twice as crowded, twice as polluted and every, I remember seeing the smog there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everything has increased, you know, in, in complexity and, and problems, you know, uh, that I think that it's safe to say that there are at, at least 20 million people living in this, in this city. Jeez. 
That's just way too many. I, you know, I see tourists here in Los Angeles. We saw them riding in the bus, and my wife said, she's first thing she said was, hey, get out of here, because they were kind of in the way. And I was like, they shouldn't get out of here. They should spend money and then not move here. There's, so, <laughs> there's way too many people here already. And, and we were both born here, so I, 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 I'm, I'm snotty about it. Anyway, I'm, nobody cares about the stuff that's listening to the show, but I did. Uh-huh. Um, there's a few questions from some of the listeners. I've got those. I've only got about, I don't know, about 12 questions here, and I don't even know if we'll get to them all. Um, mm-hmm. And the first question, if I've never interviewed somebody, why do you care about this? What? Why did? How does it start? Um, sighting, you know, strange experience, or did you just start reading books, or what? Well, I guess that you could even maybe say that I carry this interest in my own blood. The reason I say this is because, well, for example, um, the uncle of my mother, uh, my great uncle Daniel. This was a man had never had the chance to go to school because I think as his mother thought he was going to die very young. So he, she wanted to keep him close. So he never went to school. But nevertheless, the man managed to become uh, incredibly learned, you know, through sheer will and through reading books. Uh-huh. So he became like the, the wise man of the family. Huh. And yeah, and when he passed away some years ago, my mother gave me some of his books and not not strangely enough some of those books were about these kind of topics you know ancient aliens the secret life of jesus you know esoteric stuff so i guess that maybe um this is something that runs in the family what kind of books oh turn that up what kind of books did he have i mean do you remember you've got to remember some of the titles I actually don't. They, one of those, one of those was about um, ancient aliens, but it wasn't n- not not a, not any a, a, anyone uh, too famous. You know? Not about. Oh no! Wait, he he did have one about Eric with about uh, written by Eric von Daniken. The Gold oh, okay. of the Gods, I think, was one of those books. Oh yeah, he had about. I don't know how many ones he had in the seventies. They had, he invented his own font. The, the publisher invented their own font for that, so that became every every mysterious book in the nineteen seventies had that font of the gods, uh, uh, cherry to the gods font. That big block letters. Nice. If you, if you I didn't got know the that. yeah, if you got the American editions of the books, cherry to the god, gold to the god. You know, are the gods from from outer space? You know, it's like. All of them had that font, that big block Chariots of the Gods font, which my friend Donna Cossie calls the font of the gods. Um, mm. Every every cover was like that. Um, well, as you started reading this stuff and getting, I guess, further into it, as um, is there a, what was like, kind of everybody does this thing where they have like one belief system and then they switch to another one and then they kind of think about you know think about uh, something different. The next book they find. How was that for you? Did you like first believe in? We'll talk about UFO stuff right now, but did you first mm-hmm. you know accept the ETH thing and then go in another direction, or how did it go for you? Yeah, I guess you're right. I think I guess that most of us uh, start uh, with a very strong belief in the in the ETH. You know, one of the first books I ever read about it was uh, one uh, by Pedro Ferriz Santa Cruz. 
uh, who was like, you know, the father of Mexican ufology, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he was a good friend with Dr. J. Allen Hynek in 1978. I can say uh -huh, I, but I don't know that name, unfortunately. And you can, when you see me, you can hit me. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, uh, well, he was very important here in Mexico. He, for the longest time, he had a TV show about UFOs, you know, back back in the day when in the United States the, the 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 subject was mocked, you know, and ridiculed. The man had a prime time uh, TV program dealing about UFOs, huh. which says something about you know the popularity of the topic here in this country, and also uh, that it, it it's taken. I guess it's taken more seriously here. Yeah, I think there to me when I see. TV and the coverage of uh, the paranormal, especially UFOs, from um, Mexico, it seems like there's no filters. I mean, that anything is anything is fair game. And mm -hmm. a lot of people here would say, oh, well, that means they're stupid. No, it doesn't. It means that there are no filters, and that's a wonderful thing. That's why I've always liked, um, you know, Hispanic or South American or whatever study of the paranormal. They don't seem to get too bogged down in something it's kind of like well this is interesting and this is interesting and this is interesting and i like that i like the lack of filtering if, if i'm not off base there mm. yeah i mean i was fortunate enough to have experience in the 1990s like one of the biggest ufo waves that happened in in recent history oh yeah uh, they started and I can even tell you the, the date. The date started July 11th, 1991, which was a day when we had this uh, total solar eclipse yep. that could be seen here from Mexico City. Millions of people were, were you know, lo looking up into the sky. And it just so happens that in <laughs> what, the, the biggest city in whole, the whole continent, you know, then some people managed to see this strange looking silvery object hovering. Yeah. up in the sky yeah and videotaped them too there was all kinds of videos and then that wave went on for what five or six years or something like that more yeah and you couldn't you couldn't imagine how incredibly popular the subject was there was this tv show that uh, started off in a little cable channel it was called usted que opina and what uh -huh. do you think it was yeah. kind of a like a. uh like um well a question show right you know the 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 guy running running it a journalist by the name of Nino Canoon used to have some guests you know there will be made questions there will be questions from the audience or from the or from phones phones calling and someone gave him maybe sometime the the brilliant idea of running a show about UFOs and he saw that his ratings went up to the roof, he eventually moved, jumped from this little uh, uh, cable channel to prime time national television, carrying the same format and the same kind of topics. And every so often, he will go back to UFOs because he knew that that, that was, you know, guaranteed audience. In fact, one of the sh one of the shows, I think that uh, it happened in 1991, probably in September. I think it even went to the Guinness World of Records because they started uh, the show at, I guess, 
8 p.m. And they ended the show at 7 a.m. the next day. <laughs> 11 hours talking about UFOs, man. Did you Showing watch it? Showing videos. I couldn't watch it because I was in my stupid high school prom. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was this, this TV in the reception area, and there, there was three on this program, and I say, man, I'd rather go keep calm watching this instead of being here wearing this stupid suit. <laughs> Luckily, they made a few reruns, and I even—I think I even recorded it on my uh, my parents' uh, VCR or something. But it was really interesting. And well, back in those days, well, you know, Jaime Maussan became the, the spokesperson of the of the phenomenon. He yeah. was incredibly popular back then. Yeah. Yeah. And because for for better or for worse, you know, if if someone managed to. Uh, record something in the sky with using the camcorders, which were starting to become uh, more available. You know, back in those days, they were starting to be, be ch cheaper, so uh, some people started to have those. And, you know, he had a whole ring of, uh, a whole network of, of people watching the skies. He called them Los Vigilantes, no, the watchers. Yeah. These were people who... Uh, didn't mind spending, you know, the, the whole after, afternoon sitting on a chair on the rooftops waiting to see something. <laughs> and guess what, you know? Yeah. That kind of uh, patience really pays off because from time to time they will record something anomalous in the sky. Yeah. Well, that reminds me. Uh, there is a – also, I think, very soon after or concurrent with – the uh, UFO wave was all the flying humanoid stuff, and that got very popular for a while too in Mexico, right? Yeah, I guess. Before that, even there was also this strange, uh, like, migration of the chupacabras phenomenon, which started in Puerto Rico in 1995. Yeah, yeah. And I remember that. Yeah, I was I was still in college back then. And I was uh, starting to use computers to get on the, well, what was back then the, the, the nascent, you know, early stages of the Internet, you know, yeah. but before, before uh, like, browsers like Netscape and all that. Yeah, you know, everybody there was had AOL old... or, or they went to news sites or whatever the thing, news, Usenet. Mm-hmm, exactly. So I was starting to read things about the Chupacabras and all the sightings, and all of a sudden, like, it seems like the phenomenon crossed the ocean and uh, farmers in Mexico started to report uh, the deaths of their uh, cattle, you know, their sheep or their poultry, you know. Uh, and it, it, it was interesting because it gathered a lot of attention, even more so than you would imagine. I remember back in those days, it was 1996, I guess, you will see in like the biggest... A news program in whole Mexico, which was 24 Horas in Channel 2, yeah. with this guy, uh, Jacobo Sabludowski, was the anchor man. If you want to get a picture of how big uh, Sabludowski was back in those days, I don't know, think uh, Walter Cronkite. Yeah. So imagine, imagine Walter Cronkite back in the days, you know, interrupting the, the, the 8 o'clock news to give a, a story about Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> It was that ludicrous, you know? They were 
and, and it, it didn't happen just one day, you know. It became like a regular report of uh, all these reporters going to all these little godforsaken t uh, little towns, interviewing the witnesses, interviewing the people who claimed to have seen this creature, which was, by the way, different from the reports uh, that had originally come from Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, they described this kind of like uh, two-legged reptile with, you know, the, the little uh, arms like a, like a dinosaur and the big head with the with the red eyes and the spined back. And here in Mexico, it was more like, a, I don't know, like a bird, like a kangaroo or then like a, like a giant bat. And for the longest time, I couldn't imagine why uh, they were, why, why were those reports getting so much attention? And now I, I have this theory, this suspicion that they were using the Chupacabra story as some, as some kind of smokescreen campaign. Oh, really? For what? Uh, uh, go ahead. <laughs> well, you have to keep in mind that back in those days, the government uh, had a tighter, tighter control about the news, you know? The oh. uh, Channel 2 in Televisa, you know, they were uh, following the direction uh, the government gave them. Uh, PRI, right? Exactly. And back in those days, 1996, what I see is that there was when we, we had the emergence of um, an insurgent group in Mexico, the EPR, the Popular Revolutionary Army. So this was this uh, rebel group that, that was operating in the state of Guerrero. Oh, okay. And I, was, I think, I was yeah. Chiapas, but... Yeah, exactly. And this was two years after the Zapatista insurrection, which incidentally, you just in last January the first, they, they, it was the 20th anniversary you know, of when these guys uh, decided to put on their ski mask and raise their arms and to get notice. Yeah. But anyway, my suspicion is that the government didn't want to have another uh, PR problem like the Zapatistas. So, so maybe instead of uh, reporting the news about the the EPR, they decided to run the story about the chupacabra, no? So to divert the attention from the public. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, meaning you know, uh, reporting on all this paranormal stuff with a national reporter like that, a nationally known reporter, kind of to smoke screen the the anti-government stuff. Not not just chupacabras, like I said, but everything. Yeah, I guess it was the first time I realized that these kind of subjects can be exploited and used for uh, political uh, profit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did it work? <laughs> I guess so, well, sort of. Let me tell you, one of the, the aftermaths of all that thing was that when the farmers were still getting paranoid about, you know, the the their livelihood being threatened by this mysterious creature and not satisfied with the answers the government were giving them. You know, they, kept, they were kept telling them that th these attacks were done by dogs, you know, maybe dogs with rabies <laughs> or something. So obviously the farmers decided to take uh, the, the action into their own hands. And so they, some of them went to caves where they thought that these... Uh, Love thirsty creature slept at, uh, during the day. Yeah, they, they didn't find it obviously, but what they did uh, find were uh, a whole lot of bats. 
<laughs> yeah. So they decided to kill all the bats, you know? Oh, that sucks. Yeah, and it sucks for more than one reason because, you know, not only are the bats, you know, like um, the main source of uh, guano or whatever, but also the bat is the animal responsible for the pollination of what we call here the blue agave plant. Yeah, for Which is the tequila. one used to exactly to extract tequila. So if you don't have the animal in charge pollinating the tequila, what happens? doesn't get the, pollinated. You don't have your tequila harvest, and it screws up the economy. Exactly. The, the tequila production plummeted during the next few years, and the the, the prices skyrocketed. For the longest time, you wouldn't be able to get tequila. And that's why... I remember why, that. Of all the cryptids, the Chupacabras is my least favorite <laughs> because of that. I was in Tijuana in the 90s sometime, and I went to a little store where, you know, they had the rip-off Bart Simpson shirts and all that. Mm. I looked, there was a pile of T-shirts in this one store. So I dug down looking for different T-shirts, and I found one, and I bought it. And I don't have it anymore. I don't know where it is. But the guy got nervous when I pulled it out and wanted to buy it. It was a picture of a chupacabras, but it had it had the president of Mexico's head on it. And it was yeah, a wanted Carlos poster. Salinas de Gortari. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly who it was. And he had, it, it, was, uh, it was his face with, with the chupacabras body and the spines, and it, it said, Se uh, Buscando. So it, uh, it was a wanted poster. <laughs> And you know, yeah. it's for sucking the blood out of the Mexican people and all these all these charges against them, dead or alive, it said at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we still hate that son of a bitch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like nobody liked him. Yeah, well, the only people that liked him are the ones who got benefited by his practices. Like yeah, exactly. Car Carlos Slim, you know, he was the one who sold him the nationalized telephone company. And the guy got it at a laughable price, and now he's probably the second richest man in the world. Huh. Well, you know what? Let's uh, get back to the UFO stuff, even though this is fun, and I <laughs> yeah. can talk to you about It's like talking to, you know, uh, when I talk to, well, anybody, but it reminds me of Bob Emenegger. We'll be talking about UFOs, and then we suddenly start talking about other stuff that's interesting to us, um, mm -hmm. which is fine. Uh, but I think people listening, probably most of them hadn't, haven't heard you before. So I'll get back to, um, uh, well, when you, when you found your uncle's books and you started reading more of them, I mean, who did you, who was real important to you as you went along? Like, you know, I liked who, you know, that first guy you mentioned, or maybe I liked Heineck first, or maybe I like whatever. Mm. Um, but from your point of view, you know, from, from where you lived. Well, one of the people that made, uh, some of the biggest impact in, in my life, you know, uh, with his books was uh, Spanish, the Spanish investigator Juan Jose Benitez. Oh, I know. I've heard of him through um, uh, Scott Corrales. Yeah, it is really a shame that his books has never been uh, translated into the English language, especially the, uh, his Caballo de Troya uh, saga, you know, there's these books. Really, uh, he has a Trojan horse book. Yeah, well, like like he, uh, like uh, John Keel's Operation Trojan Horse is a little different, I'm sure. Yeah, it is different. The, uh, this is like, this is these are a series of novels about this type uh, super secret time traveling program that the United States Air Force had in 1973. 
So they send these two uh, army pilots. They send them back in time to the times of Jesus Christ, actually. Uh-huh. So the guy started uh, writing them, I suppose, in 1985. And the last book was published just last year, you know? Yeah. So for the last, I don't know, 25, 26 years, I've been reading these books about Jesus, maybe 10,000 pages in total, you know? And they've, they've made an impact in me, you know? Uh, even though that I don't necessarily believe the, this is true, even though he keeps claiming that the books are based on real events and he maybe dis- he'll maybe disclose them once he's dead or something. But yeah. even, even though uh, the books have made a, a, a big impression in my life, not only those books, but also the, the books he's also written uh, as a UFO investigator, you know, reporting a, a, a whole series of UFO cases, uh, primarily in Spain and Latin America. I so know. I have a t- go ahead. Yeah, so I have well, what I mean is that I still have a lot of respect for him. It sounds like what he did is what a lot of people do and he probably kind of um jumped right to it was I've got all this information, I've got all these ideas, I've got all these, you know, things that I can't really say publicly because it'd be a problem. But why don't mm. I just write a fictional novel about it and get the ideas out like that? I mean, I, I guess uh, Valet did that with um, Fast Walker and and um, Whitley Strieber did it with um, oh, what was that called? It's my one of my favorite Whitley Strieber books too, uh, Majestic. Majestic, yeah, I love the black book. So. Yeah. yeah, but it sounds like Benitez was doing the same thing. Kind of, let's get these ideas out there and let's quote-unquote, pretend they're fiction, but I want to get the ideas out there so people see it, read it. Yeah. I mean, one of the sources that he obviously used as an inspiration for the for the novels is this uh, channel book called the Urantia book. I don't oh, know if yeah. you ever... I know exactly what that is. Yeah. I mean, even Jacques Vallée mentioned it in Messengers of Deception. You know, he yeah. even, even if you didn't agree with it, with the content of the book, he eventually uh, accepted the fact that it was a true channel book. Who did? Benitez did? Uh, no, Valet. Oh, okay, okay. So it's, uh, well, not getting into any details, but the, the Orantia books, it's kind of trying to uh, tell the secret history of humankind from the creation of the universe to, to the... Uh, appearance of Jesus, you know, of Nazareth and all that. And it's kind of a, well, the main goal is, the main message of the book is that after you die, you know, I, I guess the Christian belief is that you die and then you go to heaven and you meet uh, God right right, yeah. right then, right? The book says that no, you die and you keep continuing this very long uh, uh, progression toward perfection right? Yeah, reincarnation type thing. Something like that. You will keep evolving into these higher levels of existence in which you will keep uh, depending less and less on matter and more and more on the, what you will call the spiritual life, for lack of a better world, until one day you will arrive to what they call in the the books uh, the uh, island universe of paradise where you will meet a God, 
And then I think in a, something akin to the Mormons, you will become then uh, a creator God yourself. No, you will help God. You know, increase uh, the glory of creation or something like that. Right. Yeah. That's uh, you. You have a lot better of the idea of the Arantia book than I do because I, I embarrassingly enough, for the little exposure I've had to it, I couldn't even remember that much of it. Do I? But I did remember it's very heavily based on you know a kind of a. I don't know if it's you call it a space brother thing, but it acknowledges, I guess, other races that are not human that are outside of the uh, of the uh, Earth. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that uh, Benitez keeps uh, getting back to in, in his books, even when he wrote uh, another book that made a great a great deal of impression in me. I guess what was one of the reasons why I eventually stopped. Uh, thinking of myself as a Catholic. It was this, this book was called uh, titled uh, Yahweh's Astronauts. Ah, that's a great title. Yeah. So it was kind of an ancient alien type of book, you know, in trying to to interpret certain uh, passages of the Bible, the the old and the New Testament, and seeing it as having some type of uh, ufological meaning right so the idea that maybe when for example in the exodus you will see uh, the description of the pillar of fire guiding the israelis in the desert you know yeah. and say well you know this kind of looks like the description of some type of ufo guiding guiding these people yeah well any, but anything the main... could be interpreted as that go ahead yeah sure uh, but the, the idea that appeal to me was this concept of okay whatever these entities are you know wherever they come from it's pretty clear that they are far more advanced than us technologically and scientifically right yes if you think that there's aliens coming from other planets and physical structured craft yes mm -hmm. <laughs> so if they are more advanced than us technologically what's to say that they are also uh, they aren't also more advanced than us uh, spiritually, right. for lack of a better word. Uh -huh. So a, a more spiritually advanced being will be the one who tried to 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 follow like the guidelines of uh, the the creating force of the universe. You know, to be in league with it, to help him, to help in this type of I don't know plan. If there's such if there is such a thing. Yeah. So so I guess I guess that kind of uh, idea still appeals to me you know <laughs> you know maybe it's part of my catholic baggage who knows yeah well once on uh, uh ufo mystic actually i got slightly into religion and and it's kind of a you know the model right now at least for me is uh personification of a um of a create of something we think of as a creative force and the only way we can we can think of it is is as a some kind of anthropomorphized being. Yeah. And so our model of it is, you know, at least for a part of the world, half about half the world or something like that, is a boss at the top that, mm -hmm. that directs everything. Where, mm -hmm. you know, my, my idea more like, uh, my idea is more like something that's a a general organizing force in the universe that, that turns rocks eventually into people. Now, I yeah. don't know if that's somebody that's sitting there on a throne in the clouds or something like that. I think that's a convenient way to think about it. But 
it's um yeah, it's, a, it's a simplistic way to uh, to look at it, you know. Yeah, but it's easier for people to think of because it's 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 it sounds like something that you you have you know how did how did God make Adam? Well, out of some clay. Well, you know anybody can do that. So it's a good yeah. it's a good model. Mm-hmm. But maybe maybe that's just a model that we use. I'm just saying maybe I don't know. The yeah. model that's the model we use because it sounds good to us. Whereas you know I I keep saying there was this Alan Watts lecture I heard where he said. You know, if there's if there's rocks, watch out because one uh, eventually there's going to be people walking around. It's mm-hmm. just it's just what happens to matter in certain circumstances. It just it become it it turns into consciousness later. <laughs> yeah, or maybe consciousness consciousness is the fundamental building block of the universe. Right, right, exactly. That it that's what the natural state of things is. So they just it's the opposite of the entropy theory. You know. Mm-hmm. Where the, it's if there if the or, yeah the organizing force is the consciousness that sits there in the quote unquote future, waiting for the matter to get to it or to you know taking billions of years to become a you know for it to become aware of itself. It's one of the ideas of God creating creating humans so that they he or she or it or whatever could could experience something physical besides you know whatever realm he she or it is in. Yeah, so that perfection could experience imperfection. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. You you you're not you don't even have that first language is not English and you've perfected the what I was trying to uh, say for me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm fascinated with these ideas, you know, and Taylor Taylor the Chardin's model of the Omega Point, you know, of God being this force that is trying to gather all creation uh, onto him or her. So also you could say that from from our perspective, God is in the act of becoming because yeah. we are all part of God, right? Yeah, yeah. I, and I also thought that just you know, kind of the Hindu idea that consciousness are kind of knots in this in this non-space and time-bound realm, whatever that might be. We're we're a little knots and and bumps or whatever you want to call it in that in that fabric. Little knots in the in the net of Indra, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'm keeping exploring these ideas because uh, right now uh, everybody keeps talking about the singularity, right? Right. Yeah, here it comes back again. This is another idea, an- the same idea with another name on it. Yeah. So the idea that the people, some people are trying to 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 build machines that are more intelligent than us yeah so what does that mean does that mean that a machine that is i don't complex enough is able to tap in into this sea of consciousness that it were becoming a node of consciousness yeah who know who knows if that can be created by i don't know who knows if a consciousness can be created by another consciousness who that that's a weird question i know and I have heard it before. I mean, if you provide enough of the background, will it spontaneously hook into what everybody else is hooked into? Will it be able to be psychic? Will it be able to, you know, see the future in the past or whatever you want to call it? Um, will it be able to plan for itself or any of these things? Well, I guess that would because it's it, it's that that can be done by just by you know, inferring things from the environment and from past events. 
But, you know, when you get into something like, what, like I said, psychic things or a gut feeling or, you know, the guy that always invests in the right thing all the time, you know, mm -hmm. how does he know to do that? He's not doing it based on past experience because everybody else does stuff based on past experience. He or she have some way to do that. And could that created consciousness do that same thing? Who knows? Would it be a lot better at predicting the future based on the past? <laughs> <laughs> Before you ask me of how the, the kind of books that uh, led me to start uh, evolving my, my way of thinking, right? Yeah. So from the ETH and JJ Benitez and Pedro Ferris, I eventually arrived to Messengers of Deception by Jacques Vallée, which I consider to be the top 10 books that every people, anyone interested in this topic should, should read. I agree 100%, but you already know that. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the reason why I say that is not because of the things he discussed about UFOs or, or whether, you know, someone or something uh, may, may be controlling the phenomenon or the per perception of the phenomenon for their own particular means. No, uh, the thing that blew my mind about that book was the, uh, the, the things that he started to discuss by the end of the book yeah, when he started to experience a whole lot of strange synchronicities surrounding the, his research on the what he called the Melchizedek uh, UFO cults. Yeah, yeah. So he goes to takes a cab in San Francisco. He asks for a receipt, and the name of the the, the cabbie was Melchizedek. Yes, and he, and he was like, "What? What is? The, what are the odds of that?" Yeah, and he reproduced the uh, the receipt in the book actually. Yeah, so I guess thanks to him, I started to consider the possibility that we live in an associative type of universe instead of a causative one. In a causative universe, the cost must always precede the effect, right? Right, right. But in an associative universe, you know, uh, there are no constraints uh, in uh, in time and uh, and space which can, could link several meaningful, you know, events. Consciousness is is the is the, uh, is the link, yeah. The yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's obviously he wrote this book in 1978 when barely anyone had had the chance to 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 touch or uh, or work with a computer. So every, obviously no one understood what the fuck he was talking about. <laughs> But now, in 2010, when I think I wrote, uh, I read this book, now that I, I have the advantage of having living in a world with a worldwide web, it made perfect sense. You say, okay, so we live in a kind of uh, internet type of universe, you know, where synchronicities are like these HTML hyperlinks, you know, between a web page and another web page, you know, and you'll click on the hyperlink and you go from one site to the other. And and, yeah. and and in that type of universe, synchronicities and precognition and remote viewing do not violate the laws of physics. Yeah, it's normal in that case. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's funny. It, it you. I don't know about you, but I got this feeling you know, a long time ago, and I didn't even—I couldn't even articulate it. I was a little kid, maybe, when I was reading this stuff, and I was starting to think, maybe along those lines, possibly. Like I said, I couldn't articulate it at the time, but I was thinking, well, maybe 
all of this, maybe everything is, like you said, associative, but it's not bound by time or space or anything. It's at that place, what they call a singularity. It's at a place where none of that stuff matters. And then you start getting into questions of, you know, what do people see when they die? And what do meditators see when they meditate and, and get to a certain point? And what do, uh, uh, what do people see in the flotation tank? And what do you see on an acid trip? And all this stuff gets to the point where, like you said, it's everything becomes associative rather than causative. And then, you know, you start talk, reading, and, and in my case and other people's cases, talking to people like Dean Radin or or some of the remote viewers, and that becomes even more reinforced because they came from a place of, you know, causality, of time-based causality where cause comes before effect. And then they, they're realizing maybe that's not true all the time, and maybe that's not even the rule anymore. And it, and it never mm -hmm. has been, you know, so. Yeah, and I, for example, know that um, you have become a little less interested in, well, keeping in touch with what's happening right now with uh, the UFO field and trying to follow the latest sighting or the latest UFO video and whatever. Yeah, we talked and, about this the other day. Yeah, and I myself am starting also to perceive that I'm becoming more interested in the consciousness aspect of all these phenomena rather than trying to, you know, uh, being just obsessed with the mere mechanics of it, right? You know, yeah. it's something that Grant Cameron put it very eloquently, like, you know, maybe it's even, maybe, okay, maybe it's too stereotypical to say it, but maybe uh, the men who are interested in UFOs, they want to kick the tires of the, of, the, of the flying saucer, right? They want to know the type of metal, that they they're made of. They, yeah. they want to know the physics that allows them to come from a point in who, God knows what star system because they still they're still bound to the ATH. Yeah. So they want to know that. Whereas uh, the female researchers are more interested in the consciousness aspect. You know the kind of effects that uh, people who have had a, a, a contact experience. The kind of uh, effects that it has in their life as the years progress, you know. So maybe someone who was, you know, deeply materialistic, uh, having a nine-to-five job, they have a close encounter, and five years from then, they find that uh, they divorce their spouse, they move to another, maybe to another town or another. They they are doing another type internally, and their spiritual life has changed dramatically you know they may start to to think about things like reincarnation and you know uh, meditation and all that yeah yeah uh that seems to happen to a lot of researchers that stick with it at least the ones that you know remain interesting and then on this show and you've probably heard and you've probably heard other people talk about it um you you kind of get to the point where, and, I, and I've and i been pushing this for a while now, and I notice more people are doing it, and other people are pushing it too, probably Valet before me, but uh, the fact that maybe the research should be doing what you just said, not asking people what did you see, and simply what did you see, and how high was it, and what time of day was it, and you know how hot was it, and what color was it. 
No, but then going further with that and, and going, you know, ask them, how did it make you feel? What happened to you the next year, the next week? What happened in your life? Did it change your view of things? What is your religious background? Did that change? What is your genetic background, your heritage? You know, what all these, a lot of these things, you know, have you had, is your family, does your family have a history of cancer, of um, uh, mental problems, quote unquote, psychic things, anything, just anything out of the, maybe even ordinary stuff. What's your blood type? Stuff like that. Mm Mm-hmm. It might mm-hmm. be real interesting to start gathering that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's funny. I had a list of questions here, and now it's just kind of jumping around, and that's fine because it's totally cool with me. We're running into some of these other questions. Um, mm-hmm. And if there is, you know, get rid of the large UFO groups, or if you don't get rid of them, have them start gathering information on this kind of stuff, on on, on what the subject, not just the objective, but the subjective experience, too. And then, like I said, other stuff that doesn't seem to make any, that would make any sense, like a blood type or something like that. Yeah, I I totally agree, you know. I think that Mike Lennon has discussed that several times on his Hidden Experience uh, audio conversations, right? Like, you start talking about, in this field, you start talking about lights in the skies, and you will eventually <laughs> then end up talking about God, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it you. Unless you just want to look at UFO porno the rest of your life, which some people do. Mm-hmm. Um, some people if do. you're yeah, if you're really interested in it, after a while, you start asking these questions. You brought up Grant Cameron, and you you said the other day when we were talking that you really like that he's you know gone from. Uh, you know, the presidential UFO thing to what is, you know, the disclosure, not disclosure. He says disclosure has happened, but the, you know, the government's relationship with the phenomenon and with the intelligence community's relationship with it, which I highly respect his thought and his research on it. And now he's delving into, I guess you would call it, did you say the spiritual side or um, his latest posts have had to do with, you know, how have the how has the UFO thing influenced popular culture and, and music? Like, why would somebody that was dealing with, you know, the presidents and the, what they knew about UFOs be caring about that now? It's because he's evolving. <laughs> and exactly. He's, and he's finding new things to think about. And that, that I think that's wonderful. I mean, that 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 gives me hope, you know. Yeah, I, get, I think so. I mean, um, we uh, we had him on the Grimerica show uh, uh, early this year. It's, it's still the most popular pod, uh, episode on the podcast series. And he was discuss, discussing all these things, and he was uh, telling uh, Darren and Graham how he was uh, paying attention to what this guy, uh, Bashar, you know, this uh, channel guy is, is saying. At, you know... I, even though I still have a lot of issues with channeling information because there's just no way to corroborate it. The moment he said, you know, pay attention to what Bashar is saying, then I, I decided, well, maybe maybe Grant is right. Maybe I should try to, to open up to, to this kind of stuff, even yeah. though I still have my reservations on it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of noise induced by... If that person or people or whatever are actually channeling, quote unquote, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's quote the unquote. model we use as a you know a sender and a receiver. Um, if these people are actually channeling some sort of information, and I think they are, maybe occasionally, 
look at all the noise it has to go through in their consciousness when they when it comes out of their mouth. It's got to be wrapped around all their metaphors before it comes out, whatever that message might be. And who knows what the message was before it went through that channel person, because they're not a radio. They're not giving you exactly mm-hmm. what's coming into their heads. They're giving you their idea of what's coming into their heads. Yeah, it's it's eventually end up ends up uh, being filtered by their own personal cultural baggage, right? Yeah, all these things that you're not even, probably not even aware of, and that I, uh, Mario Pozzaglini, the the alien writing guy who I was friends with for quite a while before he died in '99, he mm-hmm. said um, he was very interested in channeling. He was very interested in people that did this, and he said he could do it. He said I could teach you to do it in ten minutes. But the thing is that most of the time, he said, you'd be sitting there and listening, and you're supposed to be listening to the center of the universe talking, and people are going to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's got so much BS wrapped around it that it's hard to figure out what the the signal is through all that noise. Yeah, and you also have to consider the possibility that you might get being uh, contacted (laughs) some... I call them the tro- the trollians, you know, the guys who are tro- trolling from the other side. <laughs> and you might troll yourself if you don't, and not even know it. Yeah, exactly. You know, you might just be, you know, like, cyclically jerking you off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If anybody's ever messed with a, uh, possibly, maybe, a real uh, uh, Ouija board, Everybody I've talked to that messes with either either they're like it's evil and the devil does it, or they get yeah. to the, they get to the point where they say it seemed like it was okay at first and then it turned into this big drama and the you know it, it was giving us names and dates and and places and none of them checked out so who knows where that noise is coming from sometimes the stuff sort of checks out but not really and it's like are these subconscious messages that people don't know that are there or are they really actually getting a message from somewhere. Yeah. Who knows? But it gets it, very tricksterish very quickly for a lot of people. And it's interesting to consider what kind of impact these kind of practices have had in the bigger scheme of things. For example, um, I wrote something about that uh, last year, I think, um, about President Francisco I. Madero, you know, who, the guy in Mexico who started the Mexican Revolution, which was the first social revolution in the 20th century. And Uh this guy was really invested in spiritualism, and he was a a medium himself. He practiced uh, automatic writing on a regular basis. Uh And so because of that, those practices, he's starting to to have a, a more ascetic life. You know, he renounced meat. He started to be a, a vegetarian. He renounced uh, drinking alcohol. And then uh, he began to be more involved uh, with the social aspect of the people around him. You know, he was he came from a very wealthy family in the northern uh, in a northern state of Coahuila in Mexico. Uh-huh. And he eventually uh, the, the, the automatic writing, the, 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 the guides, if you want to call them, you know, Started telling him that he was, you know, the 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 man, the chosen one, to, chosen by the providence to try to lead Mexico into a new age, you know, and trying to to uh, oust President uh, 
Porfirio Diaz, who had been in power for over 30 years, you know, he was the guy uh, running the country. Yeah. And, well, you know, even you think that's all bullshit, but there's no denying that the Mexican Revolution then influenced uh, events in Russia, you know, and out of that came the, the Russian Revolution, and, well, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, you know what happened when you say that now, and this is not a new idea, but the first thing I thought of when you said that is maybe these people are pulling the future into the present. Exactly. And it's cha- and it's couched in the in the theatricality of a of a channeling or a, you know, uh, what else, automatic writing or something like that. Um you're you're basically pulling the future to you, I mean, it's kind of a, uh, it's an old technique in uh, Western magic, at least, where you imagine something or, or or see it as done in the future, and then you just work your way to it. I, I've been using that model for years. I, I, anytime I want to do something, I just see it as done, mm. and then I've got to pull myself somehow through the through the uh, physical world to that point that I see, and I know it's already there. I know it exists. I just have to get myself physically to that point by whatever means I'm I'm going to use to do it, and so may, you know that sounds like on a, on a very small scale. It sounds like what you're describing here, and uh, I'm sure people listening can, can describe many other you know world. Of, I mean Joan of Arc for that matter, many other world events that were in, influenced by somebody that was supposedly channeling or necromancing or whatever. Uh, you know, um, did uh, Ed, did Edward. I mean, did John D say something to uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth about the Spanish fleet uh, uh, when, they, when, when, the, when the English defeated, defeated the Spanish fleet? Did he have some kind of influence on that? I'm not sure. Maybe he I, did. And I, had I mean, we should it look it on, but I think so. I mean, the guy. Well, he. You're talking about trying to bring the future into uh, into the present. He was the one who coined the term the British Empire, right? Did he really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he was the one who started talking about the em- the, the the British Empire back when England was still this really kind of uh, weak little island. Yeah. yeah. So either he's an incredible, like you know, uh, what's the word, uh, 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 an incredible right wing asshole uh, who wasn't, <laughs> who thought that they should go out and conquer everybody. Maybe he was, or he was just thinking, he was just seeing it, going, "This is going to happen." I mean, it's just. That's the way we're headed. And the, to, in order to make it sound sane to people, I guess he just said, well, I don't know. Maybe people did believe him back then. But um, in order to make it sound sane to people or give them a, 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 something to aim at, he started saying that. I, I wish I knew history a little bit more. If, if Paul Kimball is listening, he's probably yelling right now. <laughs> I remember that Micah was the one who uh, wrote in his book, uh, Magic Mystery, Mysticism and the Molecule, that John D used to uh, 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 obsidian mirror for in order to uh, do the, his scrying. Yes. And I think that uh, it was Hernán Cortés. I think he was the one who gave it to him. So he, he brought it from, I guess, from Mexico, you know, from yeah. the ancient city of Tenochtitlan. Yeah. And, and I remember that when the first time that Micah... Uh, wrote about that it, it kind of reminded me of 
the Aztec uh, god Tezcatlipoca was one of the biggest deities in the in the ancient uh, Mesoamerican pantheon, you know. Yeah. Tezcatlipoca can be either translated as the lord of the smoky mirror or the lord of the obsidian mirror, right? Uh-huh, yeah. And it, it's, well, it's also kind of uh, interesting to consider it from the point of view of like, okay, the of an obsidian mirror and then thinking about, you know, the typical... Uh, stereotypical of the gray, right? With those big black eyes. Oh, yeah. If you stare into them long enough, you start seeing things. Exactly. <laughs> um, whether you want to or not. Because the, the, what the obsidian mirror is, is the same thing as a crystal ball or, you know, the surface of water. Or um, if you start talking about uh, any scrying or uh, any kind of fortune telling quote unquote like mm -hmm. that you need something that's blank so your your mind can either you know pick up what's a coming in or begin to um form the the images or the ideas that uh would would come it's like a form of meditation i actually tried it once i got a big black bowl and put some water in it and stared at it and about probably about 30 minutes of staring in this bowl which is an incredibly hard thing to do mm. if you haven't done it before and i didn't do it again very much but i started seeing clouds and shapes and things and there there was nothing there it was just reflecting the ceiling at the house and there was it was blank interesting so the, I, go ahead i guess the closest i have gone to that sort of thing is when i don't know I, i'm on my be bedroom you know uh, and with the lights out and all of a sudden, I start perceiving this kind kind of uh, visual imagery that I I I guess it's maybe it's produced by some kind of uh, endocrine release of that DMT in my brain. Yeah. But I once wrote about it, you know. I kind of loathe now that I use this new age term, the Akashic download, but it kind of felt like some kind of download of information, even though to me the information was gibberish. But I, I, I saw these types of symbols and images coming through my head, even that, even though I, to this day I know what the hell they meant. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's kind of a you know, it was a quasi or some kind of shamanic experience. Where you know it's any any um, change in your consciousness for a while um, has a, has the uh, potential to do this kind of thing, um, which is why most people can't do it or they can't keep it on for very long. Which is why they used to you know have one person that was the crazy person that that could keep that thing on for a while and could tell them information, and some of it was you know you you look at how people survived. For thousands of years, and you're kind of wondering, how the hell did they know where the water was? How did the hell did they know where, you know, when whatever was coming? And sometimes they did. And, you know, it, maybe it's because somebody can unhook from the physical world and start moving around in an area that's not time-based, like we were talking about before. I'm starting to babble mm. now. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's great. <laughs> but I haven't talked about anybody to anybody about this in quite a while, so I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, what uh, besides Valet's book? Anything else stick out that just really influenced you from from anywhere? It doesn't have to be an American or British or uh, English researcher, but just anyone else. Well, I, 
actually you man i mean i was fortunate enough to catch you in your most prolific uh, stage as a blogger when you back when you were writing with nick at ufo mystic and i really need to tell you that you, those blogs those writings really had a deep impact in the in the evolution of my way of thinking of this phenomenon no, duh, don't say that. Oh, duh. <laughs> no, no, but the thing, the, I really blew my wad on that site because I really had a lot of stuff to say. I said it all. And after a while, I couldn't think of anything else to say. All that stuff was sitting in the back of my mind and just kind of bubbling around. And then finally, I just thought about it quite a bit. And I put a lot of effort into that site. And I don't know why I did it, but... Because it's gone now. I have to get it back from uh, the site owner and somehow put it in a book or something. Because I want, I don't even know what I wrote anymore. Um, the thing about the UFOs being a, a cosmic art exhibit, that was one of my favorites. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, Paul Kimball kind of uh, retook that idea and he uh, did a great job with it on his latest book the other the other side of truth which i wrote yeah which i read i uh, sorry uh, i think that's last year and i really really enjoyed it yeah i did too i i saw him i saw him write that and i said good damn it, that was my idea and then i was like oh <laughs> he one he gave me credit and two he took it a little further and it excited me what he wrote yeah, I mean, the idea that, you know, thinking of UFOs, like, for example, a Jackson Pollock painting that, or some type of abstract type of painting, and two different people will uh, stare at that painting and come up with something completely different, even, so, even though it's the same art. Yeah. So maybe that's what happens with UFOs, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to that individualistic uh, view of what's going on and that the, the, the witness... The witness is is half or probably more of the experience than whatever they saw. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, the true artist knows that the audience or the people or the reader, it's a co-creator of the of the art piece. Yeah, exactly. And it, the the best kind is like that. And the stuff that really touches people, uh, I think, is the best example of that. Well, I think Terrence McKenna said if you could take those, what are those, DMT elves or whatever they are, the, the, the jeweled things that bounce around when people are on DMT, he said if you could reproduce that three, in, in three dimensions in the physical world, he said you'd be a bazillionaire because <laughs> <laughs> there's just no way to. It's just, you know, but, but the best art, and I think I'm going to include, you know, a lot of paranormal experience in that category, does that. It has the power to yeah. change your life. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, it's interesting. It's something that uh, uh, these guys, uh, one of them is called Al Alan Abadesa Green. He was recently, well, not recently, actually, in this Red Ice radio program. Yeah. They were discussing how, you know, uh, Albert Hoffman, the creator of LSD, he wants wrote to Steve Jobs because Steve Jobs was being was very vocal about the fact that the time he uh, dropped acid uh, was one of the most important experiences of his life, right? Yeah. So he wanted to see if uh, maybe Steve Jobs, now that he was a bazillionaire who helped him, you know, in his research, 
But the problem is that Steve Jobs had a different idea. What he wanted, he says, maybe we should just, you know, dump a, a, a barrel of LSD on the water in San Francisco to give everybody, you know, a, an LSD trip. Yeah, it's it's what probably Hoffman said, get away from me, you know, figuratively. <laughs> but, in, but don't you think that in a way he did that? You know, oh, he course, provided yeah. every one of us with this little... Uh, a smartphone, which it's kind of like a gateway to another state of consciousness, right? Yeah. This guy is the, the Alan Abadesa Green. He eloquently put it like it's like our own personal 2001 monolith in, in our pockets. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm old enough that I still I'm, I'm sort of take things for granted now. But every once in a while I step back and I go, I can access, you know, accurately or not. Uh, you got to be careful. All of humanity's history and knowledge from a little thing I'm holding in my hand. That's yeah. beyond Star Trek. That's beyond what people thought would be possible, you know, when I was growing up. Yeah, I mean, not even Arthur C. Clarke, the one who wrote uh, 2001, you know, you read his uh, books and uh, his ideas about the access of information are totally quaint. He thought that people would have to. Only people with a lot of money will be able to 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 access the internet to gather data. He never considered the possibility of something like Wikipedia, which is completely free and in except the really controversial stuff like you know <laughs> Robert Sheldrake's page or whatever. It's a very accurate source of information. Reasonably, yes, and in, in a lot of ways, um, yeah. And it, you know, it's it's it sounds all hippy dippy to say oh it's all free and everything you know there's a lot of problems with the internet there's a lot of problems with the freedom of it there's a lot of problems with a lot of this technology being able to turn this you know turn us into a 1984 state just by by the, by the existence of the technology but it's also it also if you use it right has a potential to, potential and has been very democratic. Yeah, I think that these all the things that we learned this this year about the NSA surveillance programs, to me, sometimes I feel that it's a a sign of utter despair. You know that these the, the powers that be know that the cat is out of the bag, and you know uh, they're desperately trying to still get a hold on of the of these to what to me is the most important development in the history of humankind, you know, the internet. Yeah. So they, they, they know that they, they won't be able to do it, but you know, this, the, the length to which they're trying to keep tabs on all of us, you know, they, it's, it's a show of their, their despair. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I was talking to, um, on uh Tim Benal's show the other day and he did bring this up. And he said, mm -hmm. what, what, you know, and what I thought when he asked me at the time was, one, it's horrible and they can track everybody and all that. And, uh, but and two, the worst thing about it is like the, you know, the, the Brazil thing, the Terry Gilliam movie. Oh, yeah. Where there's a potential one for abuse. And there's also this horrible potential for a, a mistake that ruins your life. Yeah. yeah, and and then you know you think about that and think how horrible it is. And then you also think there's so many different aspects of this. And then you also think what what do the mo greater part of people using the internet and their phones and all that? 
what are they doing? They're talking about nothing. They're talking about BS. They don't, you know, it's probably 95 to 99% of it is just crap, just like Sturgeon's Law, you know. And what the NSA is interested in is, is uh, and who, whatever other agencies that are not under the spotlight right now are interested in is the weird stuff, the, the, the stuff that is potentially, you know, uh, could be potentially dangerous to the, you know, the civilian population. I think that's a legitimate concern. But, you know, does yeah. all, do all the other factors outweigh it? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you're right, and there, there is a legitimate concern, for example, what's happening in the UK with these uh, kind of barriers they're trying to impose on the net, of access to the net. They, supposedly, they, they're doing it in order to protect children from, the, from pornography or whatever, but uh, it seems that also those, uh, that those firewalls, those uh, censorship will be also targeting esoteric sites you yeah. know yeah. also maybe sites that deal with uh, conspiracy theories maybe sites that that entertain alternative theories to uh, the kennedy assassination or 9-11 or whatever yeah i mean there's something that uh recently i listened to uh, a podcast called it just is and by the way, a big shout out to Sean and Shep. Your guys are doing a great work. <laughs> and on their last episode, they were they were discussing something that is completely out, outrageous. Apparently, according to the new, the latest addition to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, and I'm reading this because I'm not, I don't have that great of a memory. Now, nonconformity is considered a mental il- illness. Now, I think just about anything is considered a mental illness. Yeah, but the fact that now, if people complain about things, there's a sign that they are sick. It's very, very troublesome. Yeah, well, if if it's taken seriously to the point where it's used as some sort of um, way to prosecute or point out people, yeah, that's a problem. If a bunch of psychologists put it in a book and people pay attention, yeah, that's a problem. If they don't pay attention, which is what most people don't, pay attention to what's in the dsm i don't think it's much of a problem but yeah like a lot of these things as you mentioned there is a potential for abuse and that it ranges all the way from an incredibly high potential for to for abuse to almost none and it it, but you never know what it is you know what is what is somebody in power going to use these these diagnoses for these categories for are they going to suddenly start using them and pointing people out or you know your blog posts indicates that you're, you know, you're uh, over the last five months indicate that you're going to go crazy and shoot a bunch of people. And you're like, what? I never thought I even <laughs> thought of that. And then you've already, you know, like in Brazil, somebody's already at your door and, and uh, putting a bag over your head and taking you away. Yeah, um, like in minority reports, right? Yeah, or something like that. Exactly. So, so the million dollar question is, what are we going to do about it? Um. I don't know. What do you think? Oof. We're talking about uh, it here. That's one thing. But yeah, yeah, we're talking about here. Well, I remember this uh, uh, very funny video. That's kind of old. Uh, it's this this uh, comic writer, Grant Morrison. You know, the the author of The Invisibles, another another. Uh, I know who uh, he is. Graphic novels. I yeah, was at, I was at a conference so he, with him once. 
Ah, cool. Long time ago. It was, uh, go ahead. Yeah, it was very interesting because he, among other things, he was discussing about giving advice on how to use sigil uh, magic, right? You know, trying to, 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 to think of something you want, you know, to, you want to achieve or you want to get, you know, then you will write that on a piece of paper and you will then start taking out the recurring vowels and all that. And then yes. you will try to, to, to come up with some kind of uh, a interest. A symbol, yes. I did this yeah. heavily for a few for a few years, yeah. Yeah, I did it too because he said, you know, with his, his thick ex- Scottish accent, don't you just listen to my bullshit? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say, okay, Baldy, you're on. I'm going to do it. Uh, back in back in those days, when, what I wanted was to attend Micah's Paradigm Symposium. I wanted to go to Minneapolis, and it was kind of troublesome because. I didn't have enough money for that. Yeah. So I went and tried to come up with a sigil. And of course, me being me, the sigil ended up looking like some kind of cartoon cat or something. So I say, okay, I think I did this wrong. Let me try it again. And the second one looked like a cartoon owl. So I say, well, okay, so let's hope this works. And I think it kind of did because not long after that, uh, I received a... Completely out of the blue, as uh, an email from Benjamin Grundy asking me to be to become one of their uh, line of uh, writing bloggers for Mysterious Universe, and huh. uh, and the resources from that from that uh, gig, you know, they came very handy when it came time to pay for the air t- airline ticket and all that. But anyway, getting back to Grant Morrison, he also discussed how. Um, Back in those days, well, they were starting to have a lot of CCTV cameras on the street, you know. Yeah. And there was the, the, the beginning of this kind of Orwellian nightmare we're, we're starting to wake up to. And he said, okay, so if, the, if these guys are so desperate to, to, to watch, watch us on a camera, maybe we should just act as if we were in a movie, right? You know, <laughs> act like if we were movie stars. And so maybe the guys being, you know, uh, monitoring this camera and say, man, that guy is getting fucked. I wish it was me. <laughs> you know, so maybe that will be the way to undermine this type of efforts, you know, trying to, okay, if they want to read my Twitters, then let my Twitters be awesome, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or, um, so ridiculous that anybody that with no sense of humor who's going to be looking at these things will have no idea what the hell's going on. Exactly, and that makes me think about all these ancient uh, esoteric traditions and secret societies. And it's something that also Jacques Pelé me- mentioned in, in Messengers of Deception, how you see all these like uh, esoteric practices, and they are completely ridiculous but maybe the ridiculousness was some type of code that only people in the knowing will be able to go beyond it and to really get into the real meat of the information maybe we need to come up with some kind of thing like that yeah well uh, yeah something probably to glom on to something that was done before but yeah i mean i've i've known people that have done that i've 
I've done this in a low level in some things I've written where I will write, I will encode something about a story or a person or a, a clue about something that I want to know more about, and I will encode that into my writing to see if anybody sees it and gets back to me. And it's happened like mm. once or twice where somebody's gotten back to me. And nothing came of it either time. But, yeah, that that might be a way to do it, you know, just to kind of subvert just by getting something to such a ridiculous point that most people just think it's comedy. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this is something that's been practiced before, for example, in, in Soviet Russia. Oh, the yeah, yeah, people yeah. Who, the people who had the, the most freedom to write whatever they wanted were the... Uh, science fiction writers, because they knew that <laughs> if you clothed your subversive ideas on the veneer of science fiction, the censors would never be uh, the wiser, you know, they, they will get passed through them. Yeah, they don't hire people that are hip to that stuff because they would never have that job. You know, exactly. and if they did have that job, they would actively look over that stuff just to let those people keep going because that's a subversive mindset. Mm hmm. So, you know, who knows? There, there, we've got 40, less than 40 minutes left. Um, there are questions that people wrote to me uh, okay. on Facebook and other places. And if you don't mind, I will uh, try to ask some of these or we can discuss them. Far away. Okay. Because I had a few more questions, but you know what? I'm Since I'll have you on again, <laughs> maybe we'll get to them later. Um, Steph, who's a, a new and vocal and fun listener, has uh, had a couple questions. Um, and mm. it, this is kind of a broad one. What's your feeling as to what's really behind all these UFOs and Bigfoot and ghosts and premonitions and OBEs and all the other high strange stuff out there? Uh, I think she's looking for kind of a, a question. Do you think there is a unified field theory for all behind all the weirdness? Hmm. That's a tough one. Yeah, I guess... And I, I was thinking about what will I say if I, if I got that kind of a question. And I think that the most honest thing I could come up with is that all these things, there are anomalies. There are pesky, annoying anomalies that are flying and mocking our little tidy model of what the universe is and how it should run, right? Yeah. And we can do either two things. We can either try to keep ignoring them, you know, trying to see if they will go away, which they won't. <laughs> or we could try to be brave, you know. I'll try to, to uh, look at them and try to understand them, trying to see if we can uh, learn new things about it. Because if history has taught us something, is that whenever we try to... Uh, look into these pesky anomalies and try to encompass uh, 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 them into our model of the universe. That's when we observe quantum leaps in our understanding of nature, you know? Yeah. Pesky anomalous things like, I don't know, the photoelectric effect or the, that the famous uh, interference, uh, the slit experiment, yeah. you know, yeah. the... the, the with light, you know, making this interference pattern, you know, you will say, man, that's that's kid stuff, you know, don't pay attention to that. We, we have bigger things to, 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 to look into. But someone somewhere decided to, 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 to devote themselves to try to uh, come up with an answer for these anomalies. And now 
we have things like quantum theory and you know the relativity the cheap theory of relativity and from those we have now computers and we have lasers and we have a spaceships that can go to other worlds and deliver a robot that can go and 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 give uh, transmit images you know to yeah. right through our monitors so yeah. i think that's at the very least, we we should be brave enough to look into these anomalies. Now, whether there is some kind of unified field of weirdness that could try to link ghosts and Bigfoot and UFOs all into one, my suspicion is that consciousness it will play a big role in trying to join all all the all these events because, at the very least, you know. All these events are experienced by human consciousness. Yeah. You know, you can get very, very zen into this, you know, you, 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 the typical zen question that yeah. if, a tree, if a tree falls into a forest and no one listens to it, does yeah. it make noise? Yeah. You can go and say, okay, so if a UFO hovers over a city and no one looks it up, does it even exist? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. uh, that's, like, that's about the most honest answer i could give about that you know yeah and, I, don't know, I don't know if it's good enough for stuff i think it's great it's a, it's it's exactly what i would have said you know what's your feeling as to what's behind all these and the, as i was reading that the first thing i said was us exactly us. <laughs> we are yeah we are the ones seeing the lights in the sky we are the ones seeing the the hairy creatures you know roaming the forest or the you know the and shadowy entities, you know, moving from room to room. So, yeah, I, maybe, maybe if we let me tell you something. I, last year, I turned forty years old, right? Yeah, the big four O scene. Oh my God, I'm middle aged. <laughs> yeah, and you, when you reach certain age, you came come to certain realizations. Like it's more than likely that I'm going to go to my grave never knowing the secret behind all these phenomena. Yeah. yeah. And even though that's the case, I still think that all the years I've devoted myself to, to reading about them, to learning about them, to, to uh, s watching as many documentaries as I could about them, trying to uh, hear as many podcasts I can, uh, I can about the subject, I will still... Consider, not, will not consider that a waste of time. And this is something that you, in your UFO mystic uh, uh, blogs, made me realize that ufology has become my personal version of alchemy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, back uh, when I was in my teens, I came across this one of those also books that made a big influence on me was Morning of the Magicians by uh, Louis Powell and Jacques Bergier, right? Yes, also yes. In the, absolutely in the top essential list. book, yeah. Yeah, and back in those days, I still thought that alchemy was this kind of, you know, medieval wizards trying to turn lead into gold, right? You know, yeah, the, well, the, that's the, the story, yeah, that's the story they tell. If you don't know the code, I guess. I guess. So then you, I read this book and I in, understood that the, the ultimate purpose of alchemy was to transform the alchemist himself, right? Yeah. To try to to uh, to turn his you know ordinary 
matter into some type of divine type of existence, yeah, right? So it it's go. a process of enlightenment. Yeah. So I feel, honestly feel that ufology, in a way, has played that role in my own personal life because through ufology, I was forced to learn about all these types of uh, uh, knowledge. Like, you know, if you do this right, you're forced to learn about astronomy, biology, physics, you know, history, mythology, psychology, religion, everything you can think of, you know, yeah. if you do this right, you have to learn about those. And most, more importantly, it has forced me to question and redefine what I think reality is. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thankful for that. I thank the UFOs for that, you know, even though I know, I don't know what they are, but they have to, I honestly think that I'm a better person thanks to you, to, to, to this hobby, pastime, passion, whatever you might call it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the same feeling. Everything. And you know what it, it, it also did for you? You got to go to Minnesota. Or where, where was it? Minnesota, right? Exactly. I'm talking to you right now because of UFOs. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to you because of that. I met Nick because yeah. of it. I met Paul because of it. I met, you know, Vicky and, and Sherry Stark and, and, and Don Ecker and all these people who are, you know, whether I agree with them or not or whatever, whoever I'm talking to, they're all friends. My, my friend Rich Saraday, who I've had on a couple times, I've learned a lot mm -hmm. from all these people. And they're really mm -hmm. nice, smart people. Mm -hmm. And we're not always Walter. You know, we're not always talking about UFOs. We're, we start talking about other stuff. Nick and I talk yeah. about music a lot. We talk about you know movies and stuff like that. It, it's it's it, it yeah. It was like a, it was a tool. It's a tool. It, it's it's it, yeah. It's like a musician has his you know saxophone or guitar or whatever it is. You and I have this UFO thing as as part of like our little instrument that pulled us through all this stuff. Yeah, the journey is the destination. Yeah, exactly. And you don't. It's an aphorism until you go through it yourself. You know, mm -hmm. your parents can tell you whatever they want about something, and you're not going to believe them until you go through it yourself. And then twenty or thirty years later, you go, "Oh yeah, they were right," but they couldn't explain that to you. They can try yeah. as hard as they want to explain how to get from A to B, but you're not going to go how, know how to get to A to B until you do it, and you do it in your own way. And that's and I think that's the it's true with anything. Uh, more questions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Kurt, <laughs> Kurt Collins, who has has his own site, um, uh, a more skeptical site, I believe, uh, is uh, had a question. Any uh, oh, an unexplained light in the sky is teased in the news as being an ET craft. And it might as well when it might as well be a ghost. How do you feel about the media stereotyping the phenomena into pre-digested categories? Well, it's like we told, right? There's really not much we can do about it. You know, people people like people like easy explanations, right? Yeah. UFOs are spacecraft from another world. They like Ghosts to have a box. To are put dead it in. relatives, right? They yeah. got this cookie cutter, you know, answers. Yeah. They people don't like messy, complicated ideas that okay, so UFOs are aerial Zen columns make that are there to make you think, you know. <laughs> 
What does that you mean? Come, that doesn't make any yes, sense. Yes, exactly. That you, you come up with those kind of ideas and you will never be part of uh, the next big UFO show on National Geographic or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's uh, I don't know if you've ever been contacted by any like TV show or anybody and they, they'll ask you, you know, what's your opinion? And... If you don't give them one or two sentences and it's something they might have heard before or something similar, they just go, "What? Well, you know, that's it. You're, you're edited out. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, exactly. I because mean. it just doesn't it, do, it doesn't register. It's not there's not a, I'm not saying, oh, those poor, stupid people. It's just that it's not a there's no box to put it in like a lot of this stuff. I, I got that from Dean Radin. He says, you know why all these things get forgotten? And all these people have weird experiences because there's no box to put it in. Something will happen to you that's completely off the map and your brain's going, where do I put this? Mm -hmm. You know, and it, it sometimes it can't find anything. So boop, it's gone. It doesn't you don't remember it till later. Something years later, something reminds you of it. Yeah, but at the, at the same time, I think that slowly but surely the culture starts to gradually embrace uh, new ideas and new metaphors and new ways of thinking for it example does, yeah. you know you know even uh, an 11 year old kid has uh, ha, in an 11 year old kid has heard about you know quantum entanglement spooky yeah. action at a distance you know yeah a hundred years ago, ago you wouldn't be able to 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 explain it to the biggest intellectuals in the world yeah you know so maybe uh, we just need uh, a few more decades or centuries or millennia where we'll start to be, come up with better metaphors to try to get into terms with this phenomena. Yeah. Metaphors will eventually be, be supplanted by something better. You know, yeah. we, we shouldn't get, become too enamored with all our little metaphors to explain the universe. Like someone said, I think Jason... Jason Hursley, aka Elos Kefas, you know, the, the 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 map is not the the the, the, the roads, right? The map's not the territory. That's um, the oh, map is not the territory, right? Yeah, um, Robert Anton Wilson used to say that a lot, but I can't remember who he got that from. I don't know if it was yeah. a, you know a, a, a original to him, but that's like one of the little rules in my you know Ten Commandments or Twenty Commandments of of any of this stuff is yeah the map is not the territory and if you start confusing the two you're going to be locked in a in a in a strange loop for quite a while yes i also think that embracing robert anton wilson's maybe theory is the best way to approach this phenomena right yeah like john kill said you know belief is the enemy the moment you say i believe that ufos are x you're screwed you're yeah. never going to be able to do that except defending that belief. Yeah. So the only answer is get rid of all your beliefs. Even even Whitley Stever said, you know, there to live with a great deal of, of uncertainty in your life. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel about Whitley Strieber? Because you know how I feel. I, I really like his thinking. I think there's a lot of wacky stuff he says that probably turns a lot of people off and confuses me. But he says a lot of... He started to make people think in a different way about the phenomenon before anybody thought to make them think in that way. And in very strange ways, just like you were just saying here. So what's your opinion of him? My opinion is that his uh, continuous and uh, 
intellectual ambivalence toward the phenomenon. Like someday he will say, okay, so the visitors are teachers, but then we'll say, oh, but they are monsters too. Yeah. They are, then we'll, uh, another day we'll say, no, but they're here to help us. And we'll say, no, but they are here uh, to screw with us. So he goes back and forth, back and forth. To me, at least it says that the man experienced something real. Yeah. Now, whether he's been able to uh, integrate that ex those experiences successfully into his life, I don't know. Maybe he hasn't, but then again, maybe I wouldn't be able to either, you know? At yeah. least he's still like a, a, a functioning human being, you know? A, yeah. a, a, a parent, a spouse, a parent, a, a grandfather, you yeah. know? Maybe someone on his, uh, wearing his shoes, you know, will still will be either dead or in an insane asylum. Yeah, exactly. Um, Andrew Bannum... B a n h a m Bonham, not the guy from not the guy from Led Zeppelin. Andrew Bonham uh, <laughs> is asking why are there no abduction reports from blind or deaf people? And my answer was there are abduction reports from deaf people. At least I've heard. But what what do you think of that question? That's interesting. What what about you know near death experiences from 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 blind people? You know, do they get to see the light tunnel? I don't know. Yeah. I really wouldn't be able to answer it. I, I'm, I haven't ex, uh, investigated every single abduction case out there, right? Yeah. And those abductions are just a very tiny spectrum of the people who are brave enough to come up and say, I've had this experience, you know? Yeah. For, for, for every abductee, there probably is 100 people who are afraid to come out of the porchy and closet and say, I've, I've had this experience as well. Yeah. So and who then, knows? Yeah, and the thing is, they might have had an experience that does not conform to that scenario, so they don't really know what to do with it. Exactly. You know, I think that Kathleen Turner was absolutely right, and we should look into the the cases that make the least amount of sense, because from those cases, maybe we'll be able to to, to get up their hold on the phenomenon instead of just trying to go with the typical case of, yeah, yeah, you go, I, I was taken at night and I was put on the table, you know, on the round room with no, no visible lights and I had a medical exam and yada, yada, yada. Okay, so what about those <laughs> cases where, you know, along with the three aliens, the abductee also sees a dead relative? Yeah. You no, know, what about those cases, you know? Yeah, so there, people with different versions of reality because of their senses, I think they do have anomalous experiences and abduction experiences. But as you suggested very astutely, maybe it wasn't the, you know, it's not the way that everybody else experiences it, so you don't hear about it. Yeah, maybe they interpret it differently. Maybe if you are not part of the... Western Judeo-Christian modern culture, you interpret those experiences in different terms. You know, what about people who live in I don't know in Africa? What about people who live in the Amazons? You know, they yeah. will might have the same type of experience, but they will interpret it differently according to their own particular uh, cultural baggage. Yeah. Uh, Tim Brigham, our uh, our old friend, my old friend, uh, mm -hmm. says. Uh, 
<laughs> what is Red Red Pill Junkie's take on my take on the identity of Falcon? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What, what what is his take? I, I'm not sure. I'm... No, you, what is your idea about what I you know, I about mm. a year ago I said Falcon was uh, Harry Rosicki, who used to be a, a CIA operative, and uh, you know um, he was in the uh, OSI. I'm sorry. What is what was the World War Two um, OSS OSS first, and then be, he became a CIA officer. He worked in India. He worked uh, did counterintelligence with the Russians in the in Germany post war, and that is the person Bill Moore pointed out to me as being the person who was quote unquote Falcon, who was brought out of retirement. You you knew about that part, right? Yeah, listen to you. Uh... Discussing that with, uh, I think with Grant, Grant Cameron, I think he he was the one who first asked you, you know, well, please tell me who Falcon was. Yeah, because on the show that, I said I can't yet, and then I decided at some point I said, you know what, I I can't really keep it in anymore. One because I don't really have any reason to, and two because I thought uh, Mark Pilkington might have it in his movie uh, Mirage Men, which I I I don't know if that's been it, I don't know if it's been released widely yet, but it's it is. It has been shown at film festivals, and it's not. The little, uh, he filmed, actually, a scene with me saying who Falcon was. That, that was videotaped. And, and he I, edited it out? Yeah, I said, are you going to use that in the film? And he, his, he emailed me back, and he said, I don't really plan to. And I thought, well, mm -hmm. that's enough for me. I, he, there's a possibility he might use it, so I might as well just... I have nothing to lose anymore, and I'd rather just have it announced by me than to have it come out in the film. Nothing against Mark. Um, but, uh, that's, that's, that's why I said it. And the other thing was, I thought somebody could, you know, get back to me and say, yeah, this is writer, but nobody really said anything except Grant, who to his in, you know, amazing credit collated years of information, most of which I either didn't know I'd forgotten about and said it sounded fairly reasonable, which made me happy because he was, you know, I respect him. And I think, you think, I think he knows what he's talking about, but you know, Tim was asking what, if you had given that any thought or what you if you had any disagreement agreement or whatever with or even cared about it i guess <laughs> i think i read grant's essay about falcon and i don't know it made sense to me and uh, uh, i must confess that i haven't followed much on the whole aviary thing yeah you know i, I mean it's but... not that interesting to ufo people it's just kind of more of a spy thing yeah, but I think it's. I think the, the value of, of Project Beta was to point out that okay, you know, UFOs tend to converge with things that have nothing to do with UFOs, but are of the interest of people who are into the national security uh, side of things, right? Yeah, they may not know what it is, but they know how to use it to uh, do certain things. Exactly, you know, so. From that point of view, yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> Sounds reasonable, Falcon I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he asked another thing. What, what, is, what does he think about the demise of UFO updates, which I didn't know had gone away? I did. Yeah, I, I, um, Sharon Hill uh, wrote about it on Doubtful News. And, well, what can I say? I think it's uh, it's it's... The, sh the sign of the times. Maybe, maybe something like 
UFO updates is no longer needed. The same way that we don't longer need uh, uh, Usenet news groups, right? You know, we no no longer need BBS uh, forums, you know, and or or newsletters for in order to to learn about the latest sightings. How do now you... I know that, that a lot of people, sorry, that a lot of people uh, like Paul Kimball or Mac Tonys were subscribed to the UFO updates. Yeah, and I, I did wasn't. too for a while, and then I got bored with all the fighting. So there was that, you know, there was also internal struggles. Yeah. And there's a lot of, yeah, well, there are a lot of noise. To me, there was a lot of noise, and it was really hard to pick out any signal in it, which is why I stopped reading it. And you probably weren't the only one, so that's why it maybe people decided to move on. I guess so. That, that actually, I kind of feel like it feel it makes me feel bad because I have a nostalgic kind of lump in my throat about UFO updates. I enjoyed reading it, you know, for a while till you know, and then every once in a while you just go in and see if there's anything anybody said about you or something you said, and you just kind mm. of you know search it and, and see if there's some, somebody saying something. I do that sometimes on the Paracast forum just to see if anybody said anything recently or something that was interest me. And you know, most of the time there isn't, but sometimes there is. So that yeah, that's too bad about UFO. Were you on it? Were you were you subscribed to UFO updates? You must have been. No, not really. Oh, really? Okay. But now that I know of it, I will be interested to see if someone is going to preserve it, you know, on the net and some some type of web page so people can gather the information. Yeah. Yeah, so that would if be nice. there's some type of I don't know Kickstarter campaign in order to gather enough. Uh, to try to to help preserve UFO updates. Yeah, I I will I'd be all for that. You know, I will gladly you know fork in a few dollars to help for to help in that cause. Yeah, I certainly would too. Yeah, it, it that that that's just too bad that it's not around anymore. It well, you know, like I said, it's like you just said, it's maybe it just it outlived its usefulness. Um, kind of like I think UFO. Big UFO groups have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember, uh, like I told you, back in the nineteen uh, mid nineties, I I remember that I read a lot of uh, the Groom Lake Desert Rat. Oh yeah, Glenn Campbell. By... Exactly, you know, and that's when I learned about Area Fifty One. That's when I learned about J Rod and all that yeah. kind of things. You know, it was really cool but then well i moved on as the as i found other outlets for the, this kind of information uh-huh. and yes it, it's kind of sad when you find this really cool uh ufo website where you then you a few months later you move you try to log in back in and it's no longer there and say man i wish i could have tried to save the information somewhere somehow yeah I would like to do that with UFO Mystic to get. I I don't know if I think Nick probably saved all his writing. I was through. I saved about half of it and then it was taken down. So I want to try and get the rest of it. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that Paul Kimball has tried to 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 publish in in a book format. Mactoni's Posthuman Blues blog. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that's I is that still up? I think it is, but it's 
he's gone through and kind of combed through the stuff that actually is readable and relevant and all that instead of just like, you know, what look what I saw today or, you know, a picture of a mannequin or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and some of his artwork that his parents um, shared with, with Paul and sent to him, uh, Mac Tony's parents. I think the, uh, the Postuman looks is still up, but that the problem with the nets, you know, as much as I love the World Wide Web and also is that information is so frail. Yeah. Like, for example, uh, our, my, our friend my, uh, Micah Hanks had a lot of trouble last year with the Grelian report. He's, they suffered a lot of uh, hacking attacks huh. to the point that he, he virtually lost like 70% of the information that was posted on the site. Oh! Yeah, and that was like, God damn it, man. Yeah, I, and that's uh, a problem. Yeah, I better back up um, the uh, excluded middle. I mean, sorry, the um, uh, Roddy Mysterioso site. I think it's partially backed up, but I need to do another backup here soon. Uh, we've got about ten minutes, so mm. and there were a couple other. I think that's pretty much the questions that were sent to me that that I thought were good questions. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, that I wanted to, I, I wanted to put in, and that weren't, you know, sometimes some a couple people ask questions that I that were sort of what I asked, or we've already gone over them. Um, okay. Uh, where, what do you think needs to happen? You know, what what's going to take this? What's going to either invigorate paranormal or UFO, specifically UFO study? What's going to change it? How does it need to change? It's it's a big question, but you know, it's from your point of view. I think that a good development in the field is the emergence of all these little personal uh, blocks, you know, of, of people who claim to have the contact experience and who go on and share their um, their story, you know, without any type of filtering, right? Yeah. So there are people like uh, Mike Cleland on Hidden Experience, and along with him, there's also many other little blogs, you know, people who really have no other agenda that just trying to express the, to share their ideas, maybe even because they're, feel compelled to it, but maybe by something or someone. So the, the fact that there are all these types of uh, little groups and maybe these groups will should try to join forces in a way, maybe in order to, tr maybe in, if anything, to, tr to come up with some type of site that will have links to this all, all these other uh, distributed little blocks, right? Maybe we could have something like that. It will be great. Also, there was this person uh, that was in the chat room uh, uh, during uh, Tim Binal's uh, GM review show. They were talking about the idea of trying to come up with some kind of uh, the ufological version of Wikipedia, right? You know, to try to come up with, I don't know, maybe something like UFO updates, but more with more of a Wikipedia type of uh, of uh, participation, right? In Wikipedia, the, the idea is that anyone could uh, go and share uh, information and edit it, which also try, uh, brings some other type of problem, but well, 
anyway. <laughs> so if there was something like that, and this is this was my opinion, you know, if you are going to share information about a case, you will have to include, like we said earlier, you know, all this type of maybe uh, little trivial or maybe even nonsensical information about the case, like, you know, like you said, what happened to the person five years after their their event, what happened to their uh, to their spiritual life, what happened to their sex life? I don't know. Yeah, you will also have to include not all, all the pros or cons about the site, about the case. You know, like okay, these are the things that uh, reinforce the uh, the case, and these are the things that are against the validity of the case. You know, yeah, and let people uh, gather their own conclusion. Yeah. And they have to be continuously updated. If new information yeah, arrives, it'd have to be you somebody's full time job. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, right now, what we are doing here, Greg, you know, uh, Radio Misterioso is something of a pastime for you, right? Yeah, I guess so. But the whole UFO thing is a pastime for me. Exactly. And it has been forever. I never made money off it. I never got rich off it. I never will. And that's fine. That that has nothing to do with why I'm interested in it. Yeah, but also grants you some type of freedom, you know, something that we were briefly discussing the other day. The fact that you don't make a living out of it means that you can say whatever the hell you want without any fear for repercussions. So I don't have a problem with people, you know... uh, on a hobby type level, you know, trying to to contribute to the the field, yeah. not only just the, the people who actually are fortunate enough to make a living of it, which are you, maybe you could contact with with your hand and you will still have le- uh, fingers left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it you know it, it you don't know you know yeah. what happens to those people when they're reputation or what people expect out of them which is a really big one what if they don't do something that people expect and suddenly they can't make their house payment um yeah that that's unfortunate for that kind of person and it's you know how are you going to keep in such a volatile field how are you going to keep people happy and the only way to keep people happy is not to do anything different (laughs) <laughs> yeah, or two different. I might also, yeah, I might also completely agree with you when you say that uh, maybe the big next development in ufology will come from somewhere uh, completely outside the field of ufology, right? Yeah. Maybe some new, uh, like we said, some new uh, experiment uh, confirming the validity of. Uh, the non-local nature of human consciousness, yeah. maybe some new discovery. You know, uh, I don't know. I, I suppose that the first day, uh, the first day we actually find uh, another planet in which there, we are completely certain that there is life in that planet, that's going to be a huge cultural impact. Yeah. And you know what? Everybody will immediately jump to the conclusion, well, that means there's aliens coming here in structured craft because we found life on another planet. Yeah. Does that, you know... Or, go ahead. Or maybe or maybe Micah Hanks is right, and the first alien intelligence will, will we, we will interact with uh, its in artificial intelligence, something we, we create uh, here in our own planet. 
Yeah. I mean, well, we already do that on a very basic, you know, rocks banging together level with some animals on this planet. Exactly. Uh, you know, and I, th I th at some point, I think I wrote something like this that, you know, maybe whatever it is that's this other intelligence just looks at us as not an animal, but just another thing that exists. And it's not, they don't want to have contact. I mean, it already is there for them. They don't want to do anything. It's just like, you know, like like you would consider a waves on a beach or something. It's like, well, that's there and, you know, so what? And maybe that, you know, that's the entire regard for us. Or maybe, you know, we, there there isn't, you know, uh, they realize that there's them and another, but maybe they don't know what to do about it. Or if they yeah. do do something about it, it's accidental and we interpret it any way we want. Yeah, maybe we'll find out that cats are really running the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or whatever, you know, cats or whales or something. Um, you know, they're and they're thinking, well, you know what? The play they're 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 ruining the planet, and a bunch of us are going to die. But then after that's over, at least we're you know in the ocean, or we're going to go underground, or whatever. And after all these pesky humans are gone, we'll come back out and start again. <laughs> exactly, you know, they start from scratch all over again. <laughs> that's that's that George Carlin thing. He was like, you know, what, what's going to be Earth two point It's just you know. He doesn't mind. <laughs> so what if everything gets wiped out? You know, maybe that's the what. Maybe that's what happens. You know, maybe every mm -hmm. few million or few billion years, everything gets wiped out and it starts over again. That that's not that's not a new idea by any means. Uh, yeah. The next show is not in here yet. Huh? Uh, is there anything else you would like to? Uh, anything else you want to ask or talk about? Because we will talk again. Because you don't sound nervous at all. You said you were nervous. Yeah. Before. That was, I mean, I, I was very, very nervous at first, you know. I mean, I've been thinking about this uh, interview that we were going to have all weekend. <laughs> you know, say, man, what am I going, what I'm going to answer? What am I going to say? But, yeah. well, it came out far better than I expected. Well, I, I knew it was going to come out fine because I, I, from reading all your writing, I, I know how you think and also know that you're really, you know, it, it, you don't have any real rules about, anything you know it's like any everything is fair game and I, I love that kind of thought you know it's like let's just speculate for a while and as one of the people on the site once said i think on, on ufo mystic let's speculate for a while without having any attachment to any of our little speculations or hypotheses you know and that that's the most fun yeah exactly because in, by the end of the day uh, we haven't really <laughs> uncovered any true new meaning about the UFO phenomenon, but I think that uh, maybe we just uh, discover something new about ourselves, and that's not a bad thing. No, no, not at all. I mean, it's that that's that's why anybody should be interested in anything they're interested in, you know, even if it's just playing golf or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, what whatever it is that your thing is. Um, and ours happens to be at least partially the UFO thing. Are you interested in any other, like, heavily interested in anything else besides the UFO subject? You know, any of the other paranormal things that we were talking about, or uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, I've always been interested in cryptozoology. You know, I mean, when I was little, <laughs> among other books, I found out on, on my relative library was this. Uh, little book about the Loch Ness Monster written by Tim Dinsdale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and I used to be obsessed with the Loch Ness Monster, and, and of course, like Nick said, you know, but when you're a kid, you, you uh, are totally cool with the idea that there's this uh, living pleasures or living uh, living in this uh, little Scottish lake. Yes. Lately, I I not really uh, so sure that will be the best answer for the phenomenon, but there's no denying that the people are still seeing something in that lake. Yeah. Paul so Kimball. Oh, Sorry. Paul Kimball says, "Say hello for me and tell that he tell RPJ he should do radio more often." Oh, thanks, thanks, Paul. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> me. Maybe I will. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm going to force you back uh, back on the show again at some point here, and either in, sometime in the next few weeks, and which I hope you don't mind. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. This was great fun. Okay, well, cool. Uh, I if th there will not be another show coming in, I guess uh, at the show doesn't hasn't come in for a while. I don't know if he's quit or what, but it frees me up to be able to be loose at the end of the shows. Um, and I usually ask, is there any place you want people to either contact you or, you know, what what things would you like them to read that you've done? Because it, it, there are many different places on the Internet. Um, and uh, I, I read your paradigm shift one. What was it called? Shift Happens. Shift Happens, yeah. Yes, which I, yeah. I, I enjoyed thoroughly. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> Sometimes I think that well, okay, I'm reading, I'm writing this for my own personal enjoyment, and maybe, maybe no one will be, will read it. That's well, why you should write there, anything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but is there any is there any so place anyway, people should uh, look for you normally? Well, my regular gigs are um, in the Daily Grail. www. .dailygrail.com, you know, that's where I work as a news administrator, you know, every Thursday I write the, 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 the news links, Yeah. and I also have a personal blog there, also um, Mysterious Universe, you know, the, the podcast, I, I usually have a, a weekly column called the Red Pills of the Week, you know, uh, the things yeah. that, you know, the top 10 uh, stories that I think that are interesting have a, a greater impact for people who are you know into these kind of topics and not just 40 and topics also about science you know yeah. Every, anything that like like the red pills the idea of the red pills is something that will you know open your mind you know free your mind or, or open to you into a, a a bigger reality yeah that's the kind of things i'm interested in H hence and the also, name well, red pill junkie yeah yeah hence the name and also uh, there's the the intrepid uh, blog you know that's part of the this magazine that is run by Micah hanks and scotty roberts they call it intrepid magazine and i from time to time, I write something there. And also, well, there is these, uh, my semi-regular appearances on the Grimerica show podcast with my friends, uh, Darren Grams and Graham Dunlop. You know, uh, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun there because we, it's a very laid-back approach to podcasts, you know. We don't have any qualms with uh, cursing from time to time. 
And, you know, they have me at the beginning of the show and we discuss some of those stories that will, will later appear in the uh, Red Pills of the Week. Yeah. So there's, those are the places where we, uh, people will be able to find me as a creator of content, whereas <laughs> as a commentator of content, you know, <laughs> you know I, I live get, uh, scattered comments all over the, the web, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're one of the most prolific commenters and intelligent that I've seen. Um, and I'm glad oh, you're doing more stuff. And um, and it's so, while you're saying this and telling people about all the places that you have, that have this, that you, where you put this content, I was like, I'm glad somebody who has like a really balanced view of everything and a, and a, and a wide range of interest is you know is the person that the that the you know Micah and and other people have hired to um uh you know to create some of their content because the people that are looking for the UFO stuff once they get to a certain point they're they need that kind of information they need to start looking at things in a broader perspective and and it's so cool that you provide that thanks uh and let's see are the is, You've listened to the show before. Is there any songs that you've heard on the show that you want to that you want the show to lead out with? Music, uh, anything, anything that's I been on the show. There was one one of the the songs that you included in the last uh, music show. This one from Mex, I think, it was from Mexico. The one from the the Apaches or something like that. I, I can't remember the title. What was what was in the song though? Was this it the guy telling? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go the, ahead. The guy who says, "Oh, señor Apache, no me pegue usted." Oh, oh, yeah. Please, Mister Indian. Except it's 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 in Spanish. Yeah, that one. <laughs> A lot of fun. Uh, señor Apache. Yeah. <laughs> That's by um, Los Apson. Which I guess was a 1960s uh, Mexican group. I guess <laughs> I wouldn't know really, but I had I had uh, heard it before in 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 uh, Mexican radio show, which also deals with kind of strange, uh, eccentric type of music. Okay, well then I'll play that for the end of the show. And thank you so much for being on the show, Red Pill. And I won't give your name. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I will cut, you know, I, I think we should talk anyway off the show at some point here soon. And also, um, there's probably about 30 questions I had that I, that never got answered and we didn't even talk okay. about. <laughs> and I enjoyed it quite a lot. And we'll see what, what the listeners think. And if they don't enjoy that, didn't enjoy the show, they're stupid. So, <laughs> oh, okay. but I know they did. So I'll play uh, Senor Apache for you. <laughs> Muy bien, señor. Hasta All right. luego. All right, uh, hasta luego, and uh, keep in touch. Mm -hmm. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. I was going to say something, but now I'm not going to. See you again next week. Aquel famoso día se lanzó la caballería una Oh, sorry. <laughs> I wonder if I, I think it, I think my computer actually, sh 
uh, shuts off the um, – either we'll have Skype coming through, which is what you're on right now, or it'll have the, mm-hmm. the music. So I guess I'll just have to post it in the next day or two since I'm not going to do any editing on this. And uh, and you can hear it then because otherwise I can't play the song and have Skype on at the same time because of this damn computer that Steve Jobs invented. <laughs> Well, I'm really, sh- I'm really thankful that Skype uh, didn't play any, any tricks on us. Yeah, I was really surprised that it didn't. I, I, I was t- totally expecting all kinds of cutoff. I did shut off my phone. I put it in airplane mode. I shut off everything else that was on, um, just to make sure that there were no drains on the on the Wi-Fi signal that I'm using for Skype. Yeah, and I decided to hook up my laptop, you know, directly to the to the modem with a with a cable. Oh, okay. You know, we're still on the air. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I wouldn't mind myself. No, that's okay. I was calling you back. I was like, oh wait, he didn't get to hear the song. But then as soon as I put Skype on, it faded out the music. Oh, so I can't damn. unless it's on my phone. Let me see if it's on my phone. Nope, it's not on here. I have to play it, play it with you off the air. Sorry, <laughs> but it'll it'll be yeah, on well, there when, on the download uh, version. I need to send to you. Do you remember that song uh, that I uh, mentioned to you uh, on Radio Mysterioso? Uh, the song El Aparato by Café Tacuba. Yes, I have it on my iPod and on my computer. Yeah. yeah. So in the in the latest album, they released another type of uh, youthful themed song called Sopilotes, which is the Mexican word for uh, buzzards, right? For what? For, uh, you know, uh, buzzards, you know, this carrion type of birds, you know. The, oh, buzzard, buzzard. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Vulture. So the song is... It's totally about the Roswell mythos, you know, of, of the alien craft that crashes on the desert and the carrion beasts that, that are afraid to, 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 to go and eat this type of weird alien <laughs> bodies. So it's a, it's a pretty cool song. I, I like the idea of these groups, you know, coming to... to getting inspired by, by by the phenomenon i do too you should send that one uh send those two to grant cameron who's i guess he's trying to co- collect every single example of a ufo type song i i thought i was good at it he's got like a hundred on there now oh i'm definitely going to then yeah he's got a hundred on his list the thing i think the thing is with his list is about half of them i don't like the music so mm. <laughs> i never really bothered to pick them up i do excuse yeah, there, me there can be a lot of pretty crappy songs especially if they are too uh i don't know too literal with with the with, with the theme yeah or if they're not if they are literal they're not funny because i if something's funny i will give it a lot of latitude mm. <laughs> so uh so i will play that uh, apache song and if you want i'll even add the uh, uh maybe i'll put the uh is it called aparto or aparato Aparato. I'll put Aparato maybe at the beginning of the uh, the interview when I post it. Ah, great. Was uh, let me say to you, Greg. It was this is, was not only an honor but also a, a great deal of fun. You know, I mean, this 
like a green like a dream to come true <laughs> if i should say well you know what it was for me too uh, anytime i can talk to anybody that that you know you can almost practically finish the other sentences and then learn a little bit from each other i think that's wonderful so thank you too thanks i'll talk to you soon then now, now i'll play your uh opson song apache song me <laughs> <laughs> apache Aquel famoso día se lanzó la caballería a una lucha cruel. Pero al llegar los indios desde atrás una voz temblorosa empezó a decir ¿Qué hago yo aquí? No señora Pache, no me pegue usted. No señora Pache. Me va a doler. Yo no quería venir, sabía que me iban a fundir, pero me dijo mi mamá. ¿Cuál será la palabra india para decir amigo? Mmm, sí. Kimosabi, eso es. Kimosabi, óiganme, yo, Kimosabi. No, esa no es. Señor Apache, ¿qué le parece si nos vemos mejor la próxima semana? ¡Ey, Pancho, agáchate! Pobre tipo, eso le pasa por cabezón. Tan bonito copete. Todos en la lucha demostraban una gran fiereza y un gran valor. Todos menos uno que con voz temblorosa no dejaba de decir. ¿Qué estoy haciendo yo aquí? No, señora Pache, no vine a pelear. Oiga, señora Pache. Vamos a pactar Si usted quiere me puedo ir Pues tengo una cita a las seis Y no me gustaría llegar Ni muerto ni rapado como usted me va a dejar No señora Pache No sé si usted es tan cruel Oiga amigo, si no me deja en paz yo soy muy bueno para matar indios salvajes. Ah, qué mal chiste, ¿verdad? 